Hello Life Changes Church. We are in our series, Move Again. We are looking through the book of Exodus as the Israelites move out of slavery and oppression, move through the wilderness and move into the promises of God. Head over to our social media or our website for more content such as podcasts and blogs. But also grab a notebook and a pen as we look at all that God has for us during this time. Great to be here in the city again. So my name is Scott. If we have not met, it's nice to be here a bit more frequently, see a few more familiar faces. Uh, my wife Amy is outside with the boys. We've got a, just a photo of our two little, little lighties on the screen there. I think you've seen them cruising around. So it's um, Christopher is the little one and Zach is the eldest and they're always up to mischief. Christopher is 13 months and we arrived home the other day and he's busy handing Zach rocks and Zach is throwing them into our neighbor's pool. I mean... He doesn't even know how to wipe his nose, but he knows how to hand his older brother rocks to be thrown into the pool. Um, but we enjoying them. For those of you that have kids, know it's a, it's a fun ride. Um, but they're really, yeah, it's great to have them with us tonight. Um, my wife and I are from the West Coast, so I know some of you city people don't see that as a real Cape Town, but um, that's all right. We stay out in Sunningdale. Um, every now and again, we come into the City Bowl to go to the aquarium or, or do something fun. The other day, uh, my wife and I went to the aquarium with the kids, and we packing the car up, and it's a, bit, it's a bit frantic getting everyone in, making sure all the screaming stops and getting all the kids their snacks. And as we're driving off, my wife says, have I got, is my cell phone in the car? She, says, she asks me often, where's my phone? Is my phone in the car? So we've got this nifty little trick is that we check if the cell phone picks up on our Bluetooth for the car. And if it picks up, then obviously it's there. I mean, there's nothing to worry about. So we're driving from the aquarium heading towards Camps Bay. And all of a sudden, there's a bit of a commotion around us. We see people are flashing lights at us, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Is there something wrong with our car? So we get out the car, and Amy's phone is on top of the car. So we literally drove from pretty much from the aquarium, almost made to Camps Bay with her Samsung S21, which like costing me a grand a month for three years, um, on, top, on top of the car. Anyway, all, all was well, and we are, we are still happily married. So that's, that's great. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's great to be together. Um, how does it feel? It feels like we're going from one crisis to the next. Eh? I mean, we've just, just come out of COVID and now we're heading into Ukraine and there's a lot on the go. It just feels like things, the dust was just settling and now there's a whole bunch of uncertainty again. And we don't know, we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, I was running with a friend um, actually in Newlands Forest some time back and he, he asked me a question. He said, what's, what's your view on Ukraine? And I just thought it's an interesting question, and that's, that's how we live, isn't it? We need to have a view, a view on things, you know? We need to have an opinion about things. We need to, we need to have an opinion. We need to let it be heard. And just uh, Mark shared this morning in, in Century City, but it's just, I think our, our role as believers is to be praying more and speaking less into these situations, to rather be praying into that situation rather than trying to have an opinion about it to everybody you meet. So I just... Let's encourage us as believers that in, that in the depths of despair where so many people are, let's be Christians and communities that are praying, praying in situation, praying for the believers there, praying for that crisis and praying that peace will come. I think that's a, a huge responsibility. But having said that, we are moving forward on the series in Exodus. So it really gave, preached up a cracker last week on Exodus 1 to 4, and we are jumping in. So we starting in Exodus 5 and moving our way to around 10 to 12, somewhere there. Um, but very excited to be, just before we had some context, um, it was a great video on the, on the screen we saw there. But we're basically in the crux of the story now. The Israelites are in this foreign land. They are not, it's not their hometown. They don't know the culture. They don't know the way of life. 
Basically, the story dates back many years to Joseph, who saved his people from famine, brought them into Egypt, and now they have grown there and multiplied. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. So basically, everybody who knew Joseph, everybody who knew their heroic story of saving the people, they actually saved the Egyptians, actually, the long story. Everyone's forgotten. And Pharaoh has just seen this multitude of people growing and growing and growing. And because they are God's people, they grow in favor, they're growing in prosperity, they are accumulating wealth. Um, and they estimate at the time of this story, where we're preaching from tonight, that the Israelites were between three and a half and four million people that were living in Egypt. So I wonder if you could just put that up on the, on the screen quickly there, Brett. So this is a, um, it's a prayer rally in Bloemfontein some, a few years back with Uncle Agnes. Um, but this is, this is a million people um, that, are praying, that are praying for South Africa. But I mean, just to, just to get a, a scale of things, this is a million people. So imagine that multiplied by four, and that's, that's how many people there were living in a foreign land under this, this foreign king. And Pharaoh, in maybe even rightly so, or just feeling a bit anxious, feeling like these people are going to overwhelm me, they're going to overtake me, and he starts to become harsher and harsher in his rule. He basically makes them slaves, so he's got three and a half, four million slaves working for him to build his empire, to build his kingdom. He also gives a decree that you cannot even imagine it's possible, but that all the young boys being born to the Israelites must be drowned in the river, basically. I mean, that's, that's, how, that's where things are. That's the, the, the like, despair of their people. They've got no say in anything, these Israelite people. They are in absolute oppression, and that's oppression economically, socially, politically, in every area, every possible sphere of life, they are being oppressed. They have their children being taken from them and being killed, and they can do absolutely nothing about it. And that's where we kick off, Exodus 6. Um, I'm going to read the, the scripture will be, back on, will be on the screen behind me. You're welcome to turn there um, on your phone or Bible. Exodus 6, verse 6. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is God talking to Moses, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a, as a possession. I am the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Moses and says, Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, to let my people go. Enough is enough. The cry of the Israelites has come, has met the Lord's ears. Enough is enough. Go and let my people go. Moses has got some history. He was, at, he was a little, little lighty at the time when they were drowning all the kids. And he's, as we saw in the video, his mom put him in a little manger, floated him down the Nile. Um, he got picked up by an Egyptian princess. Basically, the first 40 years, he's got a very nice life. He's, he lived 120 years, and it's nice in his 40-year divides. For the first 40 years, he lived as a prince in Egypt, basically. He lived as royalty. He had all, all the pleasures of the kingdom. He could do whatever he wanted. He was royalty in Egypt. Then he lost his cool. He kills an Egyptian, and he gets chased out. Basically, he flees the land, lives in the wilderness for 40 years. And this is now in the story. He's 80 years old, and he's coming back with the word from God to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Can we say that together? Can we say, let my people go? 
let my people go. So that's the title of the sermon tonight. And as, as we see the story unfold, things just, things escalate. I was, we were sitting in Mug and Bean um, the other day, and there were these two grandparents with their, their, their grandchildren there. And the daughter was, I mean, everyone seemed to love her, but the little boy was giving her a hard time, and things just escalated. I mean, it's just the grandmother, as a parent or as a grandparent, you're supposed to de-escalate things, not escalate things. And she was just, and eventually she was ripping him and pushing him, and no, it was, it got nasty. Anyway, this story, this story is about, about things escalating, escalating to the point of death, and we're going to dive into that tonight. So I just want to put those, um, those plagues on the screen quickly. We're going, to dive, we're going to jump into those tonight. I mean, if you've been in church before, you probably would have heard about the 10 plagues. If you're here for the first time, we'll, we'll chat through it just in terms of what those plagues meant, what they symbolized, um, and what we can take out, that, out, t- take out of that for us tonight. But I think the big thing, the big crux of the sermon tonight and the message tonight is that we are here to be let go, to be set free from whatever is lording over us. So it looked different in those days. There was a pharaoh, there was a, a powerful ruler, but there are real pharaohs in our midst at the moment. There are real gods. And the word from God tonight is let my people go. Let my people go. So I mean, if we just look at that list there, there was water, the Nile turned into blood, frogs, gnats. Gnats? Did you say gnats or gnats? Did you say the G? Gnats. No, no G, silent G. Gnats. Gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then death. And basically, it's just every single time Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and it's just these plagues come, or things just get worse, and eventually Pharaoh's land is completely decimated, and his heart is hard, and then God brings death, and the people are, are set free. Um, so let's pray, and we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be sharing your word tonight. Thank you for these beautiful people. Thank you for their open hearts and open ears to your word. Thank you that they're here tonight. For whatever reason they came, they are here tonight, and it's the right thing that they are here. I pray we would be changed by your word tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. So in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the first little, um, first little face-off, or first little altercation between Moses and Pharaoh. Basically, they're the two, they're the two top dogs there that are going at it. They, they are the decision makers, um, and they have this, this um, dialogue that starts. The first thing that Pharaoh says to Moses, Exodus 5, verse 2, he says, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And just to, just to give you a bit of a sense of Pharaoh, of what it what it would mean to be a pharaoh in that time. I mean, he was the religious and political leader. He would have seen himself as a god. I mean, he, there's, in all likelihood, he probably took, took office from the age of around 14 or so, this, the pharaoh that was, um, that was ruling at that time, and he would have stayed there until being over 90. And he, he basically, of the land of Egypt, which was one of the most powerful um, um, domains or lands in the time, he was the most powerful person in that. He owned all of the land. There was no land rights in those days. He owned every single piece of land within the whole of his, of his um, area. Yeah. Um, he made all the laws, and he could change the laws whenever he wanted. So he could make a law that the firstborn of the Israelite, all the boys, must be drowned in the Nile. He could make that law, and no one would challenge him. Um, he collected all the taxes. He decided when to go to war and when not to go to war, and he was the high priest of every temple. 
How's that, eh? And we, so we often talk about Jesus being our high priest, but for the Egyptians and for Pharaoh, he would see himself as the high priest in every temple that he went to. So there was nobody above Pharaoh in that land, and Pharaoh would see himself as the ultimate authority. And that's why he says, who is this God? Who is this God that I should listen to him? Who is this God that I should obey him? I'm Pharaoh. I, don't, I get to set the rules. I don't take the rules. Um, and this is the, the, the dramatic thing about the story. It's that God comes to establish his rule and his reign over the situation. That God is a jealous God. There is only one God. And he comes to essentially reestablish the order on things. Pharaoh sees himself as the ultimate power, sees himself as being invincible, and God comes to reestablish his role as the one and only true king. Colossians 1, verse 16 to, 7, 16 to 17 says, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Our God is above all things, is above all rulers, is above all situations, is above all kings, all powers, all principalities. Our God is above all things. And I think we need to, often we need to remind ourselves about that because we get so caught up with what's right in front of us in terms of the ruler in front of us or the person in front of us or whatever's in front of us that we miss actually that God is above it all and we have direct, direct access to him. We skip to the end of the story, Exodus 15 verse 18 and says, the Lord reigns forever and ever. That's, they sing a song as the Israelites get saved and that's, that's the, almost the reason or the establishment of that story that the Lord reigns on high. And as we just look at, we look at the Israelites, we look at them going through this terrible journey, and as they have been in oppression for 400 years, been slaves, they don't even know what freedom looks like anymore. They've been oppressed for so long. They've forgotten. They've only heard stories about their homeland, about Joseph that brought them across. They don't even know what freedom looks like or feels like. Um, and my question to you tonight is, is who is your Pharaoh? Who is, your, who is your oppressor? Who, is, who is, is it a person or is it an institution? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's just somebody that is oppressing you. It could, be, it could be the person you're married to. We hope not, but it, it could be. But in terms of who is, who is that thing or, or what is holding you, what is, locked, what is holding you in, in cuffs and feel like you can't get free from? And that thing, that thing that you just thought of in your mind, that is where freedom comes. And that is what God wants to do tonight when he says, let my people go. I really feel, and I want to encourage us tonight, that he's saying, let my people go from their oppressor. There's things you're holding on to, those situations. I don't know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's something that happened many years ago. You just feel like this thing haunts me and it just, I can't get away from it. The, the power of the Lord and of Jesus that he wants to let, let those things go. So we're going we're gonna to circle around back to that. But in terms of the power of the story of the book of Exodus is a people getting liberated, a people moving, and a people going to a new and a new promised land. Um, something so interesting, and as I was busy just doing some, um, some research for, the, um, for the, the preach tonight, just the, the powerful almost symbolism or impact of those 10 plagues, it's quite, it's quite amazing. So they... Um, 
the Egyptian people, they believed in many gods. They got no problem for you to have the Huawei and you can do your thing, but they are one of a hundred thousand other gods that we've got. So there's a god for everything. Um, and there's, uh, there was an incredible amount of power that would come from that, that you would, need to, you would need to make sacrifices to a certain type of god or a certain one of the gods if you wanted certain things. So you would need to, if you wanted um, food security, you would need to go and sacrifice to the god of the Nile, as an example. And there were just multitudes of gods that had power and had rule over your life. So just if we go to that first one, um, the first one there is, is Happy, um, god of the Nile. So this was a real Egyptian god, the, the god of the Nile. And as, as we see almost God's incredible hand come through the story, he squashes these things one by one. And I'm, I'm going to talk through. I'm going to talk through a few of them. But as we, as I go through them, we're talking in terms of what it looked like for Egypt back in the day. But would you bring that back to home a bit? Would you think is there maybe a God like Happy, ironic name, that I'm serving at the moment? Is there a God that I'm giving my my attention to, that I'm striving for, that I'm aiming for? Because the reality is that we can't serve two gods. We can't serve both God and something or someone else. We can't be chasing, the the scripture speaks about you can't have two masters. You can't be be chasing money and chasing God. And the the Bible is actually full of that in terms of idolatry is the big, it's the big thing in the Bible actually. People turning away from God towards chasing something else. So this this one, this first one, you're happy. It was the God of security. It was the God of the Nile. The Nile was a, a source of Water, firstly, I mean, gave water to the whole nation. Um, it would flood every year, so the banks would lift up and basically would create fertile plains for them to plant in, to get crops in. The Nile sustained these people. Millions and millions of people got their food source and security from the Nile. And the first plague is that for seven days, the Nile turned to blood. Just, it's just this completely God flips it on its head to say, you are taking your security from the Nile I'm going to take that away from you and know that you are, I am your security, not the Nile. And it's, it's incredibly powerful. And I wonder, just for us around here, what, are we worshiping security? Are we worshiping wanting a house, needing a house, needing a place to stay, needing a car? Maybe in its most basic form, just need food on the table. We just need food on the table. But yes, that's important, good things. But is that a God that we are, we are making out of that, an idol that we, needs to get taken away God to be established. The second God was uh, Heket. Um, so this was the God of fertility, quite, quite amazing, with the, the head of a frog. So the second plague was, was frogs that swarmed the land and took them away. And I mean, it's a very real thing. My, my wife and I, we struggled for four years to have kids. We were ready, we were, we were ready to have kids for four years, and we, we just went through a very painful process. And it is, it's real, it's real in terms of is that, a, is that an idol or is it something we trust in God for? And the God of fertility, even just the God of somebody to marry, somebody, who am I going to marry? Who am I going to be with? I don't want to be alone. I mean, that can be an idol in our life that we actually need to take to the Lord and lay that down and let Him establish Himself. Um, Geb, the, the God of the earth, so this one, um, it oversee the dead and releasing them from their tombs. Maybe, and the third, um, the third plague is basically from the dust. Uh, Moses throws the dust up and gnats, gnats get, get um, swarm, swarm the air. Um, but maybe, and I say this respectfully, but is there maybe somebody that's passed away 
that it has a hold on your life. And I really said with the utmost respect because I know, I know how difficult it is to lose somebody. But maybe that morning and that comfort we need to take to Jesus so he can set us free. So something for us to, to think about. Kefri was the God of renewal. I mean, look at this guy. He's got a, he's got a bug as a face. Um, but this was all about, about being younger, being prettier, being healthier, being fitter. The God of renewal. And that's, that, that bug on his face is a symbol of a, an insect. And flies basically swarmed, swarmed the, the nation and basically just tor- tormented the people. Hathor, the God of pleasure. Let's have a quick look there. I mean, I'm not going to, don't need to speak too much about that. But is, ple- is pleasure your God? Is, ple- is pleasure your God? Uh, is that what you're chasing? Is that what you feel like? If you, could just, if you could just do whatever you wanted to do, you'd be happy. I think we just, we need to replace that with the God, the God of, the ultimate God. And that plague was the, a symbol of that, that um, God was cattle, and the, the cattle died. Um, Isis, the God of medicine and peace. Tranquility, just... I just want to be at peace with the world. I just, want to, I just want to be at peace. I want to be healthy. I want to be at peace. Maybe that's something we're worshiping. The ashes that t- t- turn to boils and sores. Nut, the god of the sky. We're going to run through these quite quickly. The god of the sky. So interesting. According to the Egyptians, during the day, the heavenly body, such as the sun and the moon, would make their way across her body. She controlled the sun and the moon and the stars. Are we looking at the sun and the moon and the stars for our future, for what we, I mean, horoscopes, or do we look at that for our future, you know, for what's going to happen? Is that, is that where we're looking to for our affirmation, for our direction in our life, or are we looking to, looking to God? Um, Seth, the God of storms and disorder, this is, that's great, I like it, he looks like he's, he's a troublemaker, um, but it's just, he, they call him the trickster, I, I really enjoyed that, but basically, he just, he's just, that guy, you know, there's always, in every family, there's always one, you know, that's, that's posting about something on the family WhatsApp group and upsetting everybody. Um, but is, is disorder a God in your life? And, I, and we need to kind of get our heads around that. But I mean, is lying, is lying a problem? Is, is you, you seem to thrive in chaos. You seem to go in and just dismantle things. I mean, that's something that that's, can be a God. And we need to take that to the Lord, that God, God is a God of order. And in this case, Seth, this trickster, God was coming in, and in that case, um, that there was a storm, and there was a hailstorm that came from the sky and, and set things right. But there's a, there's a recalibration there in terms of creating order where there was chaos. And the final one that I'm going to talk through for now is the God of the sun, Ray. He was the most powerful of them all. He controlled the sun. And the ninth plague is three days of darkness, where basically the whole of the Egyptian community would have taken their source of light, their source of um, well-being from the sun, and God comes in and puts three days of darkness in, just blacks everything out. And I mean, Pharaoh, he almost, he almost budges at the ninth one, um, but doesn't quite, doesn't quite make it there. Um, and the very first commandment that Jesus gives us, I'm skipping a little bit ahead in Exodus, but it's, it's important for where we are. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents in the third and fourth generation and those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Ten Commandments, basically, Moses gets them a bit late in the story, but they're foundational. They're foundational to our faith. 
I mean, they, they do fall within the context of the cross, but they, there's, they are foundational principles for living well. And the very first one is that I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. There'll be no other God beside me. And just as we, as we go through that, I can look at some of those and think, yo, there's some of those, they pull on me a bit, you know. So it's things that I feel like I'm chasing that a bit, and I'm going after that. And those are the things that we need to, we need to take to the Lord, and we actually, we need to squash them. And I think so often we get caught up in, um, I call it incremental gains, we just be a better you, you know, we become a better you, seven habits of a wonderful person, you know, that's, that's, you read those books and you just think, okay, atomic habits, you know, I also read a nice one there, but it's just, you know, we just start, if you want to run a marathon, walk five steps today and then six steps tomorrow, and by the time you're 105, you can run your marathon, but, but that's not the gospel, it's not the gospel, the gospel is, he comes in, Christ comes in and takes the head off things. Just as that frog lady there with a frog in the head, he sends frogs in and he chops the head off on that. And I just want to encourage you tonight. There, there may be things in your life that you have been, have been over you for 40 years. And the Lord can come in an instant and chop that thing off and it can be done. So I just want us to come with faith tonight to say, Lord, we bring this to you, not so that we can be 5% better tomorrow. I don't want to do it for 5%. I want to bring it to you so I can be free of this. So we have faith for that tonight, and we're going to trust with that. As we do communion and baptisms, those are, those are symbols, like these plagues, and what we see here are symbols. They are symbols, but there is power in those symbols, and we need to believe that and take that, take that forward. Um, and then finally, and a bit of a drum roll, is the, is the journey to the, tenth, to the tenth plague. So the tenth plague the 10th plague is where it gets real, and things, things really form apart. This, the number 10 in Scripture is, is representative of being com complete, completing things. The 10 commandments, there were 10 plagues. The 10th plague was the final plague. And I, and we, I don't know, I was just reading the Scripture, and I was just, why, why was it necessary? Why, why was it necessary to go through all of that, to go through all of that pain? They estimate the plagues probably took over a year just running through those plagues. It would have been, I mean, you can just imagine the, the Israelite people were moaning, they were upset. Pharaoh basically doubled down. He, he increased their labor. He told them, you need to make the same amount of bricks, but I'm not giving you any straw. So you need to basically, they said they had to scatter the land of Egypt to look for hay. I think they make hay, straw, yeah. And then straw to make bricks. Um, and would go and try and find that to try. They, they were being oppressed more and more and more. Pharaoh's heart was getting harder and harder. Why, why 10? Why, why was that necessary? And I think, and I don't know, but I think it's because in that, the Lord changed something in the hearts of the people that, that went through it. And I mean, I've just very sort of very high categories or levels of people, but, but Moses, the, the prophet, if you just look at his journey too, coming in, He's a, he's a babbler or a stammerer or a stutterer. Um, he he's, doesn't know how to communicate properly. He says to his brother, his brother Aaron, you can speak, or he tries to disqualify him from God. And just there's this journey that develops in him. Um, he starts off by saying, why, Lord, have you brought me to trouble this on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people, and you have not recused your people at all. Um, and he just, he disqualifies himself from the start, yet God uses him for the establishment of his kingdom. The, the, um, the people too, I mean, leading up to the last, the final, the final um, miracle, 
They had to do nothing. There was just an observation of Moses acting on their behalf and seeing these miracles unfold. And they were getting, being prepared for this act of obedience that was coming in the 10th the tenth plague. And the persecutor too. I think this is a tough one to swallow, but God uses our persecutors to establish his rule and reign in our lives. And uh, that can be hard because so often the prayers that I pray are, God, please, will you take this thing away? Or will you take that person away? Or will you move me? I mean, a difficult boss is a good example. Just somebody is, feels like a tyrant. Would you move me to another department, another company? But maybe our prayer should rather be, Lord, what are you doing in this? How can your will be established through this person? And the reality too, old Pharaoh, his heart got harder and harder. It, it wasn't a prerequisite that Pharaoh changed for his will to be established. So just, I want to a shout out and encouragement, working and challenging and being in an environment where you're working with somebody who is oppressing you. The Lord's plan is not dependent on them changing or on you being taken out of the situation. You can take that to the Lord and say, Lord, would you reveal yourself in, in this situation? Um, Exodus 9 verse 16, it says, and this is to me is the crux of it, but I've raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. This is the crux of the story, is that Jesus' name is proclaimed in all the earth. And that, my prayer for my life, and I pray for yours too, is that Jesus would be proclaimed in all the earth. That whatever suffering we go through, whatever hardship, whatever oppression, hopefully it's not 400 years for us, hopefully it's not slavery, Hopefully, but I mean, there are, there are other forms of slavery. But as we go through that, as we follow the story of our lives, the exodus of our lives from bondage to the promised land, that is what we trust for, is that the Lord's name would be known in all the earth. And as, as, we, as we do a drum roll, in a sense, to this 10th plague, and that was the most, it was the most cruel of all, it feels. It was the, it was the most difficult one to swallow. I mean, Pharaoh... I mean, 40 years ago, that's the, 80 years ago, that's the decree he gave, was that the Israelite babies would need to be drowned in a river. And now the final plague, the final plague is that the firstborn of every Egyptian home would die overnight. It's, it's hard, it's hard to swallow, it's hard to, it's hard to process. They just talk about the angel of death sweeping, sweeping through the land, that, that the dogs, there wasn't a dog that barked that night. You can just, I was driving through Sunningdale earlier, you can just imagine the houses waking up to, to finding their children dead in their beds and just what that, what that is. And death was the final mark. And yet God's chosen people, the Israelites, he gives them this promise. He gives them clear instructions, actually, very clear instructions. He says to them, take the blood of a spotless lamb, cut the blood, cut the lamb, let the, let the, let, let the lamb drain, Take that blood, paint it on your doorstep, share in that meal, serve the meal, and the angel of death will pass you by. And that's it. That's it. It's through the blood of the lamb that we get set free. It's through the blood of the lamb that death passes us by. And that is the last straw that eventually set the people free. Pharaoh, and we saw in the video, Pharaoh's mourning, his son in his arms, and the people go. And that is our story too. 
It's not through quick fixes. It's not through tricks. It's not through fancy footwork. It's through the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ that we are set free. It was sung so beautifully earlier. Holy, holy is the Lamb of God, the one that was slain. And Jesus Christ is our perfect sacrifice. He is the Lamb. Everything in that story, everything in that story points towards Christ, points towards the coming of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, and how that changes everything. John 1 verse 29 says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's John the Baptist talking. He says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we, later this evening, we're going to share in communion and it's such a powerful symbol. It's about taking the body of Christ and his blood, the Lamb of God, and taking that and, and taking part in it and saying we are part of that story. Jesus is a part of that story, and we are part of his story. And that's what sets us free. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was an incredible message. If you want to get connected, please head over to our website, but if you want to find out more about this amazing series, follow us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Otherwise, have an incredible week.